we're in a series um, that is for the Christmas season. And almost every Christmas season, we do a similar thing, which is we look at the Christmas story and we examine uh, something about it. We examine the people in it and how they and how they uh, navigated the story. And this year, we're taking a lens of the risks that those people took. The risks that people had to take in order for this story to really happen the way we know it. So as we read, like I, I'm, a, I'm a lifelonger, right? I'm a, I've been a Christian since I was born, I think. And, uh, and I, I hear this story over and over and over. But as I hear it over and over, it starts to become just inevitable. Like it's, I know exactly what's going to happen. Like I've seen the end before and I know it's going to happen. And you start to lose track of how unlikely it is that it actually would have happened. And so I just, year after year, we try to invite you back into thinking of this as it happened, in real time, uh, knowing only the things that the people in the story knew. And as you look at it that way, it all of a sudden becomes much more risky, much more unlikely, um, much more uh, sort of fascinating. This is a story of God just all of a sudden interacting with earth. And people believing that that was true, that that really was God, and he really was telling them to do things, do things that they otherwise might not have wanted to do. You know, it's a story of, of, of God saying, hey, shepherds, go, go, go to this random small town and worship this little baby. Hey, priests, do this thing. It's a story of, uh, of, of, of a woman being asked to bear this son out of wedlock and believe that it was God. And you heard, uh, uh, you heard Alice teach on that. And, and what, uh, what a strong powerhouse of a person Mary was. It, it expects uh, Joseph to marry his pregnant girlfriend. It expects this uh, priest in a, in a church to declare that the Messiah has come. Like, like if you came this morning and I, sa- and I said to you, Hey, uh, there was this good news. There was a baby born in our church and he fulfills thousands of year old prophecies. You know, it just happens to be right here in our church, right here during my reign. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you would be like, okay, I doubt it, right? At least I think you would. I would. I wouldn't believe that. It's just expecting these um, hard things. Think about Mary. And, and I know, again, Alice helped you think about that. But Mary goes to her own small town. Like she goes back to whatever, Denver, where she grew up. And she, and, and she's pregnant and she's about to give birth. Her town that she grew up in and she can't find a place to stay. Don't tell me that she wasn't being shunned by that town. That she wasn't bearing amazing amount of risk. You can't find a place to stay in Denver, Iowa, where you grew up. What about your childhood girlfriend? You know, the, the person you went to school with and played jacks or whatever you played. Where's she? What about your pa- what about your aunt? You know, Aunt Mabel. She still lives there. Nope. No room. No room. This is highly risky, highly unlikely. Do you think Joseph's woodworking shop took a hit as a business? Like as a businessman, I'm looking at this like, yeah, definitely. A lot less woodwork going on there, right? You know, people are like, don't take your cradle to that guy. You remember what? You know how small towns work, right? The small town people are laughing, you know, exactly. I'm sure his income declined because of that. This is highly risky behavior. So that's, that's the lens that we're looking at the Christmas story. And I'm going to invite you to, again, walk in somebody's shoes and, and think about it in real time and not know the end of the story. The person, though, I'm asking you to walk with this morning is Herod. Herod? Come on. 
Seriously, I didn't just draw the short straw. I was like not at the meeting and they're like, Herod, yeah, that's Kurt. That'll work great. He'll love it. Herod, I get to call Herod. Well, I don't even know, right? So Herod, not exactly the, the like hero of the story, right? I doubt any of you have a Herod ornament. They're like, oh, Herod, right? Or the Herod nativity guy. I don't know what he looks like even. I was thinking about this though over the week. Like after Christmas in January, clear out your whole nativity set and then just put Herod there. He's looking around like, where'd everyone go? My own sort of inside story. Okay, my guy's Herod. Um, so this is the thing that I'm going to try to turn you now, right? We all ha 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 laugh at Herod. I'm going to try to turn you and, and, and make you think Herod's the one guy in this whole story that does what you would think he would do. I want you to see, in order for you to understand how crazy what Mary is doing and what Joseph is doing and what the shepherds are doing and what the wise men, the wise men, they marched, I don't know how many miles. I'm sure Eric Lynn told you how many miles because he's a smart guy. Uh, uh, I don't know, but are they, is that wise? I don't think so. They're the, here is the one guy that does exactly what you would think. Like God shows up in his life and he's like, nope. <laughs> I'm going to protect my status quo. I'm going to protect my life. I'm going to do what seems normal to me. I'm going to do what is good for me. Herod's not the super villain in the story that we all think he is. He's like the everyman in this story. He is you and me to a way greater extent than we're willing to admit. Now, I don't think you're going to go kill some babies. I'm not trying to say that. But you are, you are going to have God come to you in your life and say, I have an opportunity for you. And you're going to be like, nope, not taking it. Or you're going to hear God, God's going to be around you. A story of God is going to be around you and you're just not going to notice it. You're just not going to see that it was him. You are going to protect your own status quo, your own kingdom, your own livelihood, instead of letting God take you on some big risk. You are going to do that. I know you are. So as we look, Herod is more us than we think. In fact, theologians call Herod the, uh, the embodiment of original sin in the story. He is original sin. He is who we all are. Just let it soak for a bit. Ha, 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 Herod. Oh, he's me? Whoa. Just let it sink in a bit. While you let that sink in, I'm going to give you some history I hope there's no history teachers, but history is dry enough that it lets things soak in. Okay, I'm going to give you some history. Uh, you know, the Roman Empire was huge right at this time. The Roman Empire would, like took over all, anything that mattered. You know, if they wanted it, they would take it. If they didn't want it, it didn't matter. So the Roman Empire is just this huge thing. And Caesar rules the Roman Empire from Rome. And... But it's just too big. You can't rule that whole thing, especially with the technology they have, without some other way of ruling some of these parts. So they do a very smart thing. They divide the Roman Empire up into sections. And they give each section a king. You're like, hey, you're the king of that section. And here you have, you have one job. Taxes got to come from you to me. That's your one job. Your sort of sub-job is this. Keep the peace. Keep everybody happy. Because that's the main way that taxes are going to still come there. If your people get all mad at us, then they're going to leave us and the taxes will stop. So here's the deal. Keep them happy. Keep taxes flowing. That's your job. 
Okay? So they divide the kingdoms up and they take, they say, hell, the Jews, they're all kind of the same as each other, so let's draw a rectangle around the Jews and that'll be the Jewish kingdom and we'll make a king there and we'll call him the king of the Jews. Wait a second, what? Okay, yeah, right, exactly. The king of the Jews is Herod and he's ruling over this Jewish section of the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, uh, if you know of Herod, if you look up Herod in your Bible, you're gonna find all kinds of Herod. Uh, stories. Herod did this and Herod did this. You're going to see Herod who's in this story that we have. You're going to see Herod who Jesus uh, talked to in his trial. You're going to see a Herod who beheads John the Baptist. You're going to see a Herod who uh, Peter talks to. You're going to see a Herod who Paul talks to. Just so you know, they're like all different guys. There's four to six different Herods that ruled during this time period of the Bible. Um, this Herod that we're talking about is the first one of those. He's Herod the Great. Herod the Great. I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, you have. If you took history, you've heard of Herod the Great. He's a real guy. Like Wikipedia right now in your phones. Wikipedia, Herod the Great. He's there. He's a real guy. This is part of the point. This is a real thing. This is a real story. Herod the Great, actually, if you just look at it from a historical perspective, isn't the supervillain either. He's actually kind of a good king. He does his job well. He gets, he gets you guys to be happy and he gets taxes to flow to Rome. He's a good king. In fact, he makes you guys so happy. Um, he builds all these great big buildings. He like He's a huge building builder. One of the greatest buildings he built for you is the temple, the Herodian temple. Have you heard of the Herodian temple? If you go and you see ruins, you're going to see this parts of this Herodian temple. That's Herod. That's Herod the Great. That's this guy. He's actually pretty good at his job. Now, one thing you don't like about him is that he takes a lot of tax and it hurts you, but, you know, you're kind of willing to put up with that because you have a level of prosperity. You have a level of good trade with other people. You have peace with Rome. They're, like, not worrying about you because he's taking care of it. Uh, so that's this historical guy. Now we're going to walk into this story with this real live person in it, okay? Um, also, as we walk through these verses, I'm just going to basically run straight down the verses in, that are uh, found in Matthew. This is, this is, we're going to learn something, but I also want you to like, in a side part of your brain, learn, this is how I should be reading the Bible. I should be thinking about the, I should be asking questions of it and thinking about these people as if they were real. Because they are. I didn't mean to make that sound like. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, a real guy, by the way, King Herod, Herod the Great, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. Say what? This is weird already. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Who are they asking the question of? The King of the Jews. Right? Now picture it. He's like... Bring me grapes, right? He's in a palace. This is a real life thing. Uh, he's on a throne. He's got people with palm fronds and stuff. He's got, he, he's a mega rich and, and everyone's afraid of him because he did happen to, by the way, I forgot this in the history. He killed three of his sons because he thought they wanted to be king. He killed his wife um, because she was going to have a son that might be king. He's, he exiles, and he's not that great a guy, right? I made him sound a little better than he was. Uh, but historians kind of let that pass because of all the good things he did and because that's not abnormal for a king in the time. Okay, anyway, so, by the way, here comes these wise men, wise men, and they come into the king's throne room and they say, hey, 
where's the king of the Jews just been born? And Herod's like, what? I'm here. I mean, I'm the king of the Jews, and the next one has been born already. His name is Herod. He's my son. He's the older brother to Herod, my other son. And uh, so it's a weird story. Now, I'm wondering, why is the next person in the story not, and then Herod killed him? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This is pure speculation on my part, but I, I'm guessing it's because these are like foreign dignitaries coming in, and he and Herod's saying, "This I don't want to start a war, so I'm not going to kill these yahoos, but I'm, I am going to be like, what are you talking about, right? So that's what just happened. Um, uh, that, that's, that's odd. So now, here we go. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That's the next verse in the Bible. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. <laughs> right, right. That makes sense. Right, because it's weird. And But then, here's the one I don't understand. It, the first time through. And all of Jerusalem with him. Well, why is that? Why are you guys disturbed when, when these guys come saying, where's the king of the Jews to be born? Why? Well, just put yourself in this place. We all, we all love our own comfort. Things are going well. You're in, a, you're in a society right now that you, you do wish there were some changes, but you know, all in all, things are going well. I mean, this guy's building the Herodian temple. This guy's ruling over peace. Things are okay. I mean, things could be a lot worse. And if some people come in here to start disturbing, stirring the pot and stirring things up, things might go wrong. And this Herod guy, you know, he does tend to kill people. And so we don't want that. So we're disturbed. When we start hearing this news, all of Jerusalem with him. And I just want you to think about yourself too. This is good news coming in, and yet we're disturbed by it because our overriding issue is I want comfort. I want safety. Okay? Now, then, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, Jewish people, he calls these people from the temple, right? And he says, hey, chief priests, preachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Okay, wait, that's a big deal. The words just changed in a really significant way. You might have asked yourself a question in that last verse. Why does he care? I mean, it's a baby born in Bethlehem that these yahoos from out east are claiming is the next king of the Jews. Why does he believe that at all? So seriously, if you come into my office next week and you say, Kurt, I just heard good news. There's a little kid. He was born in Denver and he's going to take your job. Okay. Right. Okay. Great. I don't care. Let me, let's see. For, uh, by the time he's that old, I'm ready to be gone anyway. And da, da, da. It's a weird thing for him to get so worked up about a little baby born in some rando town, like very small population. Now we get to this verse and he says, where was the Messiah to be born? And we're like, oh, wait, okay, that changes it. Now we're, now we're understanding that Herod actually thinks this baby born in that random town is the Messiah. That's a completely different thing. This is the king of the Jews. This is the last king. This is what prophets have been prophesying for thousands of years. And so now let's start thinking about the prophecies about this kid. And you can start understanding why Herod gets a little upset. One of the prophecies is this guy, this Messiah is going to pull us out of the oppressive room of rule of Rome. Wait, 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 wait. Remember my one job? Keep Rome happy? 
Now, there's rumors out there spreading around in my kingdom. Somebody's saying that a guy has just been born that's going to pull us out of Rome, which probably means like the parents and the aunts and uncles and all that around there are thinking the time is starting to come when we're going to pull out of Rome. It's like there's a little pod of terrorists who are going to, t- t- who are going to change my kingdom. This is something I gotta take very seriously. Even though it's a rando baby in Bethlehem, I've gotta, if there's people talking like this, we've gotta stop it. Another thing about those prophecies is, this is the king who is gonna take us from oppressive rulers. Wait, what? I'm the oppressive ruler? Did you just come into my house and say you're an oppressive ruler? I don't think so. I don't like that. Another thing is, it says, this is the last, the, uh, he's the first king, uh, there's not gonna be any other of the Herods, right? So now you're telling me that my sons, Herod, 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 and Herod aren't going to be king, that I'm the it, that I'm the last. Now we're starting to say my legacy, who I'm going to be remembered for is I was the last oppressive ruler of the Jews. I don't think so. No, no, no. My legacy is I built the Herodian temple. My legacy is I ruled over peace. My legacy is, I, I, I brought prosperity and trading from, from, from other countries into here. That's who I am. You're telling me I'm the last oppressive ruler? No. Self-reflection. Think about this. These issues of legacy, of who I am at my core, of who people are going to remember me to be, are hard and big issues. When God comes, knocks on the door and says, hey, Julie, I have something for you. But that something is going to have, is going to mean that your legacy is going to be different than you think it is. No, no, no. Issues of legacy, issues of kingdom. This thing that I built, I like. I like my kingdom. I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm impressed with my kingdom. <laughs> That's a funny thing to say, but it's true. I, I think what I've done is good. And I know, and I know that can be a stumbling block to make me not hear the voice of God. Legacy issues, pride issues, kingdom issues are some of the top issues that are going to keep you from hearing the voice of God when it's your turn. When God wants you to be in the story and you need to take a risk, these are issues you're going to have a hard time letting go of. All right, so back to the story. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I may go worship him. Right. Right. But okay, we laugh only because we know the story. That and the fact that he was a politician. Okay, sorry. Too easy. Too easy. Okay, we know he's lying because we know the end of the story. The people in the story don't know he's lying. How do I know that? Because later the angels have to come like, by the way, he was lying. Go home a different way. But if you're in the story, what, what you see from Herod right now is pretty incredible. It's not what we think of Herod. Think about this. When Herod hears some news about God invading his kingdom, coming to his kingdom, coming to the world, what are the two things he does? First thing he does, he consults scripture. He does. He calls in the chief priests and he says, tell me what the scripture says. Tell me when this kid was to be born. Tell me where this kid was to be born. He consults scripture. 
Okay, again, some self-reflection. When risk comes into your life, when God comes into your life and tells you to move over here, how many times is consulting scripture not the first one on your, not the first idea in your list? Guess what I'm doing to you now? I tried to level Herod to your playing field, now I'm trying to make Herod a little better than you. Herod consults scripture when, a, when God comes into his life. That's pretty incredible. Now, I do that too often, but I also know there are many times where when, when something comes in from left field, my first reaction is more like, ah! right? It's not, hey, I wonder what scripture has to say. Second thing, he says, I want to worship this God with my mouth. He publicly declares that he wants to worship. Now, for a lot of us, this would be like all we need to hear about Herod. Like he consults scripture and he says he wants to worship God. That's an amazing guy. But we know that underneath all of that, there's something else. Maybe Herod doesn't even know yet that there's something else. So I just want, again, a little self-reflection. How many of the times are those kind of public displays, like you being here this morning and, and braving the snow, public displays, not always in sync with my, what's a level or deeper, a level or two deeper in your soul? How many times are you like worshiping? We're going to sing a song right after I'm done that is just so awesome, um, uh, uh, the message that it has. How many times are you like worshiping that, but then don't take that home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? And that's what Herod was all about. All right, back to the story. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time they had heard from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's terrible. It's horrible. This is a bad outcome. Now, this is going to seem like I'm minimizing that for a second. I'm going to come back. But but thinking of this historically, it, Bethlehem is a tiny town. There's probably not a lot of kids under the age of two there. We're probably not talking about a lot of kids that were killed. Why do I say that? I'm not trying to justify what he did. But there are people who get tripped up right here in the story in saying, when I look into history, there's no record of Herod the Great killing, mass murdering a bunch of babies. There's no historical record of that. That's proof that your Bible isn't true. No, the Bible didn't say there was a mass murder right here. The, the Bible said all the children under two in a teeny little town were killed. That's terrible. That's terrible. But how often does history skip over little bumps like that? I would venture to guess somewhere on earth today, there's a ruler killing some children and we're not going to hear about it on CNN. So, uh, again... It's a horrible thing. I just want, if you're in a place where someone challenges you on the fact that this never happened, I don't think we can conclude that. I don't think history's quite that finite and that, that good at recording these things. Kings killed people. That's what happened. That's what they did. Okay, but this is a terrible thing. This is a terrible thing. Now, another piece of self-reflection I want you to do uh, in this story. When I, when you... Get selfish. When you start protecting your own stuff, your own kingdom, your own legacy, 
people nearby you get hurt. That's a thing that just happens. That's a natural consequence. When you ignore God's voice and you kind of double down and, and go inside of yourself, people around you get hurt. Just think, just be thinking about this. Just in your local sphere, in the tiny little, like my friends and family, when I get selfish, does it hurt them? Yeah, it does. Not like it's expanded. When we act the way we act, when we buy the things we buy, when we do the things we do, does it hurt somebody? Well, oftentimes it does. Now, don't hear me say that just because I bought this jacket and it's made in Bangladesh or something that I hurt a child specifically. I'm not, I'm not saying these are simple economic issues like that. But I'm saying you should be thinking about that. When my need for comfort, when my need for, for uh, being treated like a king hurts people, it's something I should think about. Okay, so, in conclusion, this is where this whole thing has been kind of heading. We think of, we think of Herod as this totally evil guy. History doesn't judge him like that. And theologians judge him more like he's an everyman. He's who we all are. Missing God when he comes knocking on your door is a normal thing. Saying yes to him and having a baby or marrying your girlfriend out of wedlock for God's sake is a non-normal thing. Now, theologians all the way up until about the Reformation had this idea that if God came knocking on your door, you would, of course, throw open the doors and say, yes, God, thank you. Towards the, towards the Reformation, our thinking started changing. Here's a quote from Martin Luther about this. He said, man is not, as scholastics say, as the, as the current theology says, able by nature to want God to be God. Indeed, he wants himself to be God. And he does not want God to be God. Deep, deep stuff from Martin Luther. You do not by nature want God to be God. You by nature want you to be God. Now, for many of us, our relationship with Christ and what Jesus did on the cross makes us, makes it at least possible for us to think in other ways. But I would just postulate that there's that part of me still there who wants me to be God. So before we collectively just pile on to this guy, let us think more about who he is like us. Here, Paul in Romans says this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Ouch. So who are you really? When God comes knocking, when opportunity comes knocking, when God asks you to be a part of his story, who are you really? Be honest with yourself. Are you more like Mary and Joseph and the Magi and the shepherds and, and, and the priests who are like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that risky thing. Or are you more like Herod who are like, sorry, it's not going to happen. Now I'm going to find, I'm going to finally say this. How do you, how do you get to be from one to the other? How do you, how do you make it so that you can be more like Mary than like Herod? How do you do that? 
Well, there's no simple answer. There's no surfacey thing. But what I, I want to say is that it comes from things that you build up inside of you over time. Things that you store up inside of you. Be, be preparing yourself to be ready for when God comes. It, Jesus said this in Luke. The good man brings up good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. In a lot of ways, this happens way before the knock comes, way before the risk comes, way before God invades your life. You are storing up, you are preparing for that so that when God is there, you're not missing him. When God is there, you're willing to say yes. I'm inviting you to become people who are storing up, people who are getting ready to say yes. Store up. Amen. Heavenly, gracious Father, this message is, uh, I think, a real challenging one, a real, a real sensitive one. When we start asking ourselves who we are, instead of just enjoying the Christmas story, asking ourselves what role we play, asking ourselves what story is happening in our world. Lord, I pray that for myself and for my friends here, that we will be able to release our own kingdoms, release the hold that we have on them, release our hold on comfort and pleasure and being treated like kings. And that we would be able to respond to you when you call and when you knock. And and Lord, I pray, I pray that for myself and for my friends here that we would begin preparing for that time by storing up for ourselves good. Now let us worship you